I knew I was going to love Unju when she suggested, you know what, it's All Hallows' Eve. Why don't I play Toccata and Fugue in D minor for the postlude on All Hallows' Eve? I put a little explanation of what that piece of music means, why it's often associated with haunted houses, for instance. So Unju, welcome. And so what that means is I want you all to hear this music. Be seated for the benediction and for the postlude after the service, okay? We've been looking at the book of Acts, 11 sermons this autumn on the book of Acts to find out what God is calling the church to be, especially after the disruption of those 600 days, at least 684 days of this wretched pandemic. What are we going to be? What's different about the life of the church after all this disruption? And today I want to look with you at one of the greatest stories in the entire New Testament. I find it difficult to even think of the New Testament without this story from Acts 17. Paul was in Athens, Athens deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And the Athenians took him and brought him to the Areopagus and said to Paul, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. It sounds rather strange to us, so we would like to know what it means. Now, all the Athenians and other foreigners living in the city would spend their time in nothing but new things, telling or hearing something new. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To the Unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made with human hands, nor is God served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. And since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that The deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and the imagination of the human mind. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, the Athenians scoffed, some of them, but others said, we will hear you more about this. Thanks be to God for God's holy word. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as you've been hearing this fall, the book of Acts is about St. Paul's irrepressible journey from Jerusalem, the capital city of this backwater province at the edge of the Roman Empire, to Rome itself, the capital, the military and political capital of the known world at the time. So from Jerusalem, this backwater province, to Rome, the capital of the world. And about the midpoint of this journey, Paul ends up in Athens, which is the intellectual capital of the world. Jerusalem, the religious center. Rome, the military center. And in the middle, middle, the intellectual capital of the world, Athens. Now he's almost there by accident. Luke makes it sound as if Paul is not meant to be in Athens. It wasn't on his original itinerary. But there he is at this home of uh, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Euripides, Sophocles, and Aeschylus. 
There he is, almost by accident. He has no business in Athens, so Luke makes it sound as if he takes himself on a little self-guided tour of this famous ancient city. It's almost as if Paul is walking through the streets of Athens with a Nikon camera around his neck and four telephoto lenses. And it has to be a Nikon because it's named after Nike, the Greek goddess of victory, to whom there must have been a temple in Athens. And during his sightseeing tour, Paul is shocked to discover this virtual phalanx of foreign gods everywhere, idols, temples, altars, to every major and minor deity ever mentioned in the annals of human religion or poetry. But there's at least one good thing about these Athenians. They're very open-minded. They have not settled on precisely what God is like. And they're listening to Paul in his teaching about this this new God that Paul talks about. So they take him to this hill just northwest of the Acropolis called the Areopagus. If you've been there, you know that Areopagus just means the hill of Ares, the Greek god of war, whom the Romans called Mars. And so this story from Paul's life is sometimes called Paul on Mars Hill. And then Paul at the Areopagus finds a point of connection with these sophisticated Athenians. Among all the statues to Zeus and Eros and Psyche, the goddess Athena for whom the city is named, Paul finds a modest, nondescript little altar where the inscription reads, Anyasto Theo, to the unknown God, to the God we do not know. Anyasto Theo, that's where we get our English word agnostic, of course, an agnostic is someone who doesn't know what God is like or even if there is such a being. And here's Paul's point of connection. Paul tells the Athenians that it's better to be vague about God than wrong. Right? Better to be vague about God than wrong. Like some ranting, raving, red-faced preacher. In 1925, the lawyer Clarence Darrow defended the school teacher John Scopes because Scopes was teaching the theory of evolution. And when Scopes' prosecutors accused Clarence Darrow, the lawyer, of being an agnostic, Mr. Darrow replied, I consider it not an insult but a compliment to be called an agnostic because I do not pretend to know where so many ignorant men are sure. Yes? That about sums up Scopes, prosecutors, Darrow's accusers, ignorant men. The great 19th century American thinker Ralph Waldo Emerson pointed out that the skeptic has something very important to offer to the intellectual world. The skeptic offers to the intellectual world what Mr. Emerson called a resistance to premature conclusions. Yeah? A resistance to premature conclusions. And when it comes to God, whom even Moses was forbidden from laying eyes on, when it comes to God, every conclusion is premature. As Karl Barth so vividly put it, God is not man said in a loud voice. That's what the Greek myths were saying, that God is man in a loud voice. You know, the skeptic might not know much, But at least she knows that looking in the mirror is a poor way to find out about God. 
Agnasto Theo, says the inscription, to an unknown God. Now, this is not the end of Paul's argument. This is just the beginning. He goes on to say, Athenians, what you worship as unknown, we know. The Creator of the heavens and earth, the Lord of the heavens and the earth, is actually closer to you than you know. In that one, we live and breathe and have our being. So, how is this ancient story from Paul's life, God's word for us today? I am glad you asked. In this fall sermon series, we've been looking at the blueprint for the birth of the church to find out what God's calling us to be and to do after this dreadful pandemic and all the other cultural hazards that have buffeted the church for the last 40 years or so, what God's calling us to be and do. And it occurs to me that this is our moment. 2021, this late in American history, this is Kenilworth Union's moment. Because, as it happens, more and more Americans are Athenians. That is to say, more and more Americans are agnostic about what God's like, or even if there is a God. Four years ago, I preached a sermon here called Why There Are More Nuns Than Nuns. Why There Are More Nuns, N-O-N-E-S, Than Nuns, N-U-N-S. Right? For the first time recently, the last four or five years ago, nuns, N-O-N-E-S, is the largest religious distinction in the United States. First time there are about 23% of us who say we have no particular religious identity. That's a little bit more than evangelicals and a little bit more than Roman Catholics. Nuns, N-O-N-E-S, outnumber nuns, N-U-N-S, 75 million to 50,000. There are 1,400 nuns, N-O-N-E-S, to every one nun, N-U-N-S. For the first time in memory, fewer than half of Americans say they belong to a church, synagogue, or mosque. Now, this is obviously bad news for the Christian church. This is a threat to the institutional life of the American congregation. But it's also a vast opportunity for a church just like this one. Because we are intentionally multi-denominational, intentionally non-doctrinaire, we welcome people of robust faith, of scant faith, or of no faith at all, so that together we can explore the unseen world that lies adjacent to the one we know and that Unju is going to give us a glimpse of when she plays her postlude. This unseen world, you're welcome here. We have two simple ancient creeds, just two. One from the Christian evangelist Matthew and one from the Hebrew prophet Micah. From Matthew, love God above all and your neighbor as yourself. Simple as that. From Micah, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly. That's all. Anybody can embrace those. Jews can embrace those creeds, obviously. They both come from the Hebrew Scriptures. Muslims can embrace that creed. Buddhists Hindus, even most nuns, can embrace that creed. These creeds are a gateway to a larger, sturdier, more committed, more defined faith in the God we know through Jesus Christ. These creeds are the gateway to that larger, more specific faith. They can make us juster, kinder, and more neighborly. We all need a religion, a faith that makes us larger. Do you know anyone who, whose faith makes them small? Don't answer that. Last week, a church school 
whose provenance I will not name to avoid casting aspersions, a church school in Brooklyn fired a music teacher when he married his longtime partner, now his husband. Now, it is illegal in the United States to fire an employee because of his sexual orientation, unless you are a religious institution and you define that employee as a minister. Now, this music teacher did not think of himself as a minister. He was a music teacher. But this religious institution defined him as a minister and then promptly fired him. This is why one of the reasons why there are so many nuns in the United States today, N-O-N-E-S. Young people are just tired of these pinch-penny guardians of ancient, obsolete standards. They're just tired of it. And so they're fleeing in droves. There are 75 nuns in the United States, N-O-N-E-S, for every Presbyterian. There are 11 nuns, N-O-N-E-S, for every United Methodist. You're not sure? Come and see. Come and see what life with God is like in a place like this. And then when you're here, we'll go on with Paul. Because agnosticism is a good place to begin your discovery into God, but a bad place to quit. That's not all there is to it. So eventually, some of these Athenians scoffed at Paul. Resurrection from the dead? You've got to be kidding me. But other Athenians said, Paul, we're going to hear more from you on this. And when they did, maybe some of them understood that if God can ever be known, if God ever has a human face, it would be the face of that one that came down to Bethlehem, grew up in Nazareth, died at Calvary, and rose again to rule the world. If God ever has a face, it's the face we've known all our lives, even though we've never really seen it. The face of Jesus. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost.